Good morning, everyone. This is Father Nate, missionary priest in Italy. Today is Sunday, December 4th of 2022, and we're celebrating the second Sunday of Advent. Today's gospel comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judah and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Sometimes it happens that we get used to things, and then we don't pay attention to them like we should. Now, today's gospel probably falls into this category. We've all probably heard of the precise time of when John the Baptist came on the scene, and his message is well known. In fact, every year, on the second Sunday of Advent, we're asked to meditate on the figure of John the Baptist. However, there's three things here that are worthwhile to reflect on. Three things that will help us prepare for the birth of Christ. First, the figure of John the Baptist himself. Second, the message that he gives. And third, his words regarding Christ and the way he will come. So first, the figure. Second, the message. And third, his words about the Christ. Now, the Gospels give us a very vivid description of John the Baptist. His curious sense of fashion led him to wear clothing of camel hair with a belt. And he kept the Jewish dietary laws by eating locusts and wild honey, both of which are kosher, if not perhaps odd. Now, to add to these characteristics, today's Gospel implies, and Luke's Gospel tells us explicitly, that the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert, meaning that John was already in the desert when the word came to him. It's not that the word came and he felt the urge to run out into the desert. Rather, God had already set John apart. He'd already called him to be separated. And as Luke's gospel tells us, the child John grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now, notice that John doesn't enter cities. 
Mark tells us that John baptized repentant sinners in the wilderness. It's a technical word. It means either in the desert or at least in an uninhabited place. And this begs the question. Now, if John is supposed to prepare the way for Christ, wouldn't it have been more effective to go, say, to cities or palaces where there's people? And in particular, people who have influence. But under God's guidance, John doesn't do that. He doesn't go to those places. Rather, he remains in the desert. And those who want to find him must seek him out in the desert. Now, there's a very important point we can take away from this. The desert is an abandoned place. There's nothing there. Cities are loud and full of noise, gossip, and a thousand and one other distractions. In that desert, though, John was alone with God. And he could hear the word of God when it came to him. Recall that when God really wanted the Israelites to listen to him, when he really wanted them to learn to give him their attention, he had them spend 40 years in the desert. They wouldn't have even had food or water had it not been for God. Because the only things in that desert were God and his people. The point is this. God doesn't speak in the midst of noise and distractions. If we want to hear his word, if we want to listen to his voice, we can't get sucked into the million and one things that aren't him in the world. The million and one things that are calling for our attention. We have a beautiful example of this in the first book of Kings. Just after killing all of Jezebel's false prophets, Elijah runs away because he's afraid of losing his life. He reaches Mount Horeb and he hides in a cave. But in order to reassure him, God tells him that he will come passing by. And the Bible recounts the story this way. It says, Then the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. The Lord will pass by. There was a strong and violent wind rending the mountains and crushing rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a light, silent sound. That light, silent sound, like a whisper, as some versions have it, would have been impossible to hear if Elijah hadn't been listening. He wouldn't have been able to hear it had there been noise. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta says the same thing in different words. She says, We need to find God, and he cannot be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. See how nature, trees, flowers, grass, grows in silence. See how the stars, the moon, and the sun, how they move in silence. We need silence to be able to touch souls. We can ask ourselves, do we go into the desert, leaving behind the noise of the world? Do we know that God is not in the iPad or iPhone or Facebook or TV or the computer, but rather in the Eucharist, waiting for a moment to converse with us, if only we'd be silent before him? Now again, it's not that these things are necessarily bad, but distractions abound in this world. John heard God's voice in the silence of the desert. 
And those who wanted to hear John's message had to go meet him there. We too have to go meet God in the silence, in the desert. Secondly, we can consider the message that the Baptist preached, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Again, in Luke's, in Matthew's gospel, the Greek word used is tribos. That's the word for paths. It comes from a verb which means to rub. Now, the paths then that Matthew's referring to aren't nicely paved roads. They're not the major highways that the Romans had built. No, the paths he's talking about are the ones that have come up just from people walking repeatedly over the same land. The paths are simply worn down trails. And this is, again, what John says that the Lord, we need to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Well, yeah, if we think about it for a minute, that makes sense. These paths wouldn't go through mountains or over difficult terrain. To put it simply, they would be the paths of least resistance. They're the easiest places to walk. And of course, we'd expect these paths would go every which way, right? First to the right, then the left, here, there, everywhere. They certainly wouldn't be straight, even though that would be the fastest route, because the Jordan hillside is full of hills and difficult terrain. And to fix this, in Luke's Gospel, the Baptist not only gives these commands, but also speaks figuratively of correcting both problems. He says, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. So John's recommending two things, leveling the land and correcting the paths. Now, he's not talking about undertaking a massive construction project in the Holy Land. Rather, he's speaking about how we need to ready ourselves to receive the Savior. We can think about how those two metaphors, those two images, apply to our lives. The mountains and the valleys are the sins and the failings that keep me from God. The big mountains or the valleys that get in my way that I refuse to tackle. Maybe they're big sins that I can't seem to break free from. Some past injury I haven't been able to get over. Maybe I refuse to level the hills of my pride. Or I haven't asked God to fill in my imperfections and weaknesses that only he can fix. We can think of the paths that need straightening as those things in our lives where we try to take a shortcut around the work that needs to be done. Maybe these things aren't necessarily sinful, but they're perhaps imperfections, things that are less than perfect, less than the ideal to which we're called. It's clear, too, that unless the ground is leveled, the path will never be straight. We can ask ourselves, where do I avoid doing the difficult work in my soul? Where am I taking the paths of least resistance? Is it at work, where I refuse to bear witness to my faith? Is it maybe at home, where I refuse to go that extra mile for my spouse, for my children? And lastly, John ends his discourse with some rather fiery words about the Christ. Shouting at the Pharisees, he says, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. These words remind us that we really need to make a sincere effort to change our lives. We really have to bear fruit worthy of the one who's called us. The person who makes no real effort to show their conversion and repentance hasn't really converted or repented at all. 
At the same time, John's words remind us to be patient. Sometimes we might ask ourselves what John probably asked himself as Christ began his ministry. (laughs) Why doesn't God work this destruction, this purification? Why doesn't he cut down every tree that doesn't bear fruit and throw it in the fire? Well, John's words remind us that the world and, and the church are filled with both saints and sinners. People who found their salvation in Christ and are living it, and people who are still looking for it. Fulton Sheen offers a beautiful commentary on this, placing this response on Jesus' lips. He says, When I come to the threshing floor, I see not only wheat, but human chaff that can be salvaged and saved. Bring to me sinners and those who want to be saved, and I will make them think of my passion rather than their passions. Lead me to those who believe God is dead, and I will show them how dead they were by bringing them to life. I shall not break prison bars, but shall teach prisoners to be resigned to my will, for I too shall be in prison. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some regard delay, writes St. Peter in his second letter, but he is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It takes time, but there is no better time to practice patience than this time of Advent. So as we prepare for Christ's birth at Christmas, let's ask through the intercession of Mary, Mother of God, for the grace to prepare our hearts to receive him well, a grace that Mary, who carried Christ in her womb for nine months, knew very well.